Okay, the way we're going to start, the way we always start, we start with our young ones, our kids. I'm going to tell you what this passage is about, uh, and then uh, I'm going to tell you also what the sermon is going to be about. So here we go. Uh, kids, true story or made up? You guys tell me, okay? Hey, y'all tell me. Uh, doctor discovers four bees living inside woman's eye. True story, or did I just make that up? True, Sanders, true. That's a true story. Didn't make that one up. How about this one? Two years, <laughs> you didn't believe that? <laughs> okay, how about this? Two, two years ago, a woman in North Dakota got in a car accident that severed her leg. It, it cut, like this car accident cut her leg off. Uh, thankfully, she, this happened right outside a hospital. They rushed her into the hospital, and they saved her life. Then the really crazy thing happened. Her leg hopped into the hospital. They found it in the waiting room, and they re seven-hour operation, they reattached her leg. True story or made up? True? Henry? What's that? Fake. Charlotte, what do you think? Yeah, it's fake. I totally made that up. Okay. Now with this one. A man once ate a plane. It is true. A man once ate a plane. He ground it up into dust little by little and ate it. Uh, okay, how about this? There's a magnetic slime robot used to pull objects uh, that are stuck in people's throat. You shove it down someone's throat, and it, and it pulls uh, these objects out of people's mouths, uh, throat, stuck in their throat. Henry? Fake? Charlie, you say fake? Made up? True. Or they're making one like that. <laughs> so it's coming. Uh, how about this? <laughs> Y'all, Amer okay, a married couple was at a restaurant. They're having dinner. The husband, the husband sneezes so hard right into his wife's face. They, th they said it was a 174-mile-an-hour sneeze. He sneezed so hard, it blew her eyebrows off. True story or made up? Clementine, what do you think? <laughs> one of three true, it sounds crazy. Yeah, I made that one up. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, wait, what about this one? On October 10th, just this year, a few weeks ago, a man played the saxophone during his own brain surgery. Henry, what do you think? True. Fact. Yes, it happened in Rome. This just happened. Crazy. Um, okay. This is, we could go on and on. There's this unbelievable, these unbelievable crazy stories, like are they true or not? Like who cares? Like whether or not these stories are true, like they don't affect you, like who cares? But what if I told you, what if I told you the Longhorns lost yesterday? Go Frogs, yeah, and some of you are like, who cares? And, or who are the Longhorns? And others are like, yeah, go Frogs. And so like, it doesn't matter, who cares? It's, nor it's like business as usual and we're all Astros fans. So, um, so that, that kind of stuff, like, yeah, that happened. It does not affect me. Who cares? But then what if I told you this? And this is, this is hard, y'all. I just, I just heard this, and it's crazy that it happened to all of you kids. But kids, I just heard your room, your room just burned down back at your house, and everything in it is burned up. All your stuff is gone. It's crazy that it happened to all of you. But the rest of your house is fine, but your room and all your stuff is burned up, and it's gone. What do you say to that? You don't have to clean your room. And 
What if I told you that? If I came up to you after church and was like, hey, dude, Paul, I'm so sorry. I just heard your room burn. Your parents haven't told you yet. Your room just burned down. All your stuff in it. Oh, your brother's in that room too. Yeah, his stuff. Like you'd say, no, what? No way. There's this kind of news where you hear it and it's like so crazy, unbelievable uh, that you don't want to believe it because it affects you. Like that can't be true. Oh, that would be horrible. Or it's so awesome that you can't believe, like, hey, you, did you know your parents just won the lottery? And like, what? No way. That's, that's unbelievable. There's this kind of news that is so hard to believe because it changes everything in your life. Like, if I told you uh, your parents just got you a pet elephant and it's back at home waiting for you, that's going to change how you spend your day. It's going to change how your family spends money. It's going to change. Like, there are these things that just change massive news that there is. Uh, somebody tell me what the gospel is. What is the gospel? We say that word all the time. What's the gospel? Anybody? It's in the Bible. Awesome, Charlie. And what does the Bible say about the gospel? Good news. Great. Good news about what? About God. Yeah. And Jesus. And what did Jesus do? What's the good news about Jesus? He died. Dying, if it's true, if Jesus really came down from heaven, the Son of God comes down, fully God, fully man, and He ever, and it changes everything about your life. It changes how you think about yourself. It changes how you think about other people. It changes how you think about the world. It changes how you spend your money. It changes how you spend your time. It changes how you think about your future and where you are going. It changes what you think is most important in the world. It changes everything, if it's true. And it's true. And you need to believe it. And as you believe it and as you grow up, you will see it's the biggest thing and it changes everything. And it's good news. This is the good news. It has uh, what you could call an artistic pattern to it. Like, yes, there's, there's chronology involved in it, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. But the way each gospel writer tells the story, they tell it in such a way, they have a technique where they're trying to highlight certain awesome truths about the awesomeness of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So in Mark, we've heard these conflict stories, parable stories, miracle stories, typical Jesus stories, private stories between Jesus and his disciples, Jesus predicting his death stuff. And then last week, we started the beginning of Jesus' passion stories. Passion is just a Latin word for, for suffering. So Mark has just started to tell us uh, the, the passion of Jesus all about the suffering of Jesus, all the circumstances around what Jesus is going to do on the cross. And today we're getting to the end of Mark's passion stories. We're getting to the cross. Uh, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, which is Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16. And the soldiers led Jesus away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a, a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they ordered, and they ordered him, uh, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, 
and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. When the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God, the word of the Lord. So we left off the beginning of Jesus' passion as he's, uh, as he's come to Jerusalem. And since then, he, he's, been, uh, he's been betrayed, arrested, tried illegally, uh, brought before uh, the chief priest, brought before uh, Pilate, the Roman governor himself. Uh, and it has led to this, uh, to his, his crucifixion and death. Crucifixion. We, when we think about the suffering of Jesus, we tend to focus on the physical torment of the crucifixion. We, it, you know, it's that Mel Gibson, Passion of Christ stuff. And historian and scholars agree, they agree, that crucifixion was the most cruel and terrible form of execution. Uh, and, and Jesus is truly all the more so because before he was crucified, he was beaten and he was scourged, scourged, uh, whipped with a, this whip that had certain things at the end of it, I mean, tooth and bones, uh, so that the lashes just did, did the work more brutally, just... Uh, so basically, all, all, all the flesh was ripped off his back before he's crucified, and and then he was crucified, and the nails piercing, you know, cartilage tendon going through the hands and the feet. Um, he's try you, you have to you have to raise yourself up to breathe. So you imagine his his back all scraping against the the wooden cross, all while he's suffocating until he eventually gives out and suffocates to death. And on the one hand, on the one hand, Mark doesn't have to go into all this detail because crucifixion was common uh, in the ancient Near East here in Rome. And it, it was not done in a dungeon somewhere. Uh, it was done in public. Jesus is crucified on Jerusalem's highway for, for all to see. The people, they know what it looks like. They know what it sounds like. They know what it smells like for a man to be crucified. On the other hand, Mark doesn't go into much physical detail because what Jesus is suffering here is actually infinitely beyond physical and emotional pain. The miracle of the cross is the God-man dying. And not just dying, but it's that death death. It's that second death. Uh, it's taking hell uh, and the wrath of God on the cross. This is what we call, what's happening here is, is what we call penal substitutionary atonement. Penal means penalty. So Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. 
Substitution means Jesus did it in our place. He did it as our substitute. He did it for us, for our sins, not his. Atonement means you got to make a wrong right. Uh, Jesus is making right our sin by suffering the just wrath of God against our sin in our place. Is it Jesus is writing our alienation from God. He's writing our enslavement to the guilt and the power of sin. All, all the brokenness that has entered into the world through our sin and, and the original sin, uh, you know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And, and so it does, it begs, it always, always begs this question. You ever, whenever you talk about this stuff, uh, the cross, was, was this atoning death necessary? Was it totally necessary? Be up against? Which begs another question of, okay, well, let's think about, like, what are we up against? What are we up against in this world? We're up against a broken world and a broken life, uh, a world of miscarriages, birth defects, infant death, abortions, infertility, hunger, learning disabilities, child abuse. We're up against every form of betrayal and neglect, every kind of trafficking. Uh, we are up against every kind of abuse, physical, emotional, verbal, spiritual, we're up against loneliness, we're up against depression, uh, we're up against suicide, every, for, every single form of crime and corruption, every form of selfishness, every form of sickness, every all suffering, and all suffering, every form of suffering, it is a living death until it takes its final form in death itself. And no science, no technology, no human intervention, no government, no university, no job, no amount of comfort or entertainment or vacation or distraction. There is no religion, there is no philosophy that can atone for all of that. It's considered one of the greatest novels ever written. It's awesome, you should go read it. Uh, but it was my friend, Sean Slate, who reminded me of this, this part, the, the, the weight of this. Uh, it, the book, The Power and the Glory, it's set in communist-era Mexico in the 1930s. And at this time in Mexico, in certain parts of Mexico, the authorities are suppressing the Roman Catholic Church. <clears throat> They're looking for and hunting down Catholic priests. The main character is a guy called uh, the Whiskey Priest. Uh, <clears throat> uh, he's uh, he's this, a renegade priest uh, known as the Whiskey Priest because he loves... Chocolate, uh, and he's made a mess, mess of his mess of his life drinking too, too much chocolate, uh, and he's been on the run from the authorities. He becomes he becomes one of the two most wanted men in all of the state of Tabasco in, Me in Mexico. And so, at one point, fellow Catholic priest sells him out. It's just too too good of an opportunity to pass up. The guy, the the whiskey priest, doesn't even fault him for it. He's thrown in prison, and in prison, he finds himself surrounded by just the absolute worst criminals. And, and there's also uh, a, a, a woman there, and this is what Graham Greene writes. He says, the priest was touched by an extraordinary affection. Uh, he was just one criminal in a herd of criminals. He had a sense of companionship he had never had in the old days when pious people came kissing his black glove. And then a pious woman in the cell says to, says to the priest, you know, very self-pious, she says, you don't know what sort of wretches are here, Father, thieves, murderers. And he asks, why, you know, why are you here, you know, my child? And, and she says, 
just with unbearable pride in front of all of these other criminals, just with a lot of disdain for them, she says, I got arrested because I had good books in my house. Thieves uh, and, and murderers piling up this crowd. And then he says to her, thieves, murderers, oh well, my child, if you had more experience, you would know there are worse things to be. Which, it, 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 again, it, it seems, sounds like this line that is just kind of this throwaway line, but his point, Graham Greene's point, is that the worst thing to be is a transgressor who looks down on other transgressors. Like, what's, what's worse than being a transgressor is being a transgressor and thinking that you're not one. Or, worse yet, being a transgressor and mocking your Savior and your need of him so you got to turn that, like, was this atoning death really necessary? we really got to turn it back, like, on ourselves and make this really personal. This is just from Romans 1. Uh, are, you ever, are you ever tempted to repay evil for evil? Have you ever been tempted to withhold love and good deeds towards somebody, an enemy, or even, even someone you love and care about? Uh, have, you ever, have you ever ignored God and done the things that he has asked you not to do? Have you ever gotten angry and been cruel to someone? Have you ever lusted for someone that's not yours? Have you ever dishonored your body? Have you ever dishonored someone else's body? Have you ever used your mouth to gossip and slander someone or a group of people? Have you ever found yourself filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness? Have you ever hated God? Have you ever been haughty or boastful? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever been foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless? Have you ever turned from the suffering of a neighbor? Or have you ever refused to celebrate and rejoice with a neighbor? All of it, all of it, that's why he died. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's taking infinite wrath for our sin. And that cry, it came from that confession of sin that we, that we offered up, Psalm 22. Jesus is taking the words of Old Testament King of Israel, King David. He's taking them as his words. One, one commentator points out that David never could have imagined that his words would express such anguish. Uh, David cried out in a time of life. He felt abandoned. He felt abandoned by everyone, his family, his friends, and even God. And David was struggling with this feeling that God was far off. But even in that struggle, David never could have imagined that these words would be the words used to express the, the pain and the horror of our Lord and Savior as he faced condemnation on the cross. David felt abandoned, but God had not abandoned him. And here Jesus is taking ultimate abandonment as God turns away, turns away from Jesus in loving favor, and he pours out his just wrath for our sin on Jesus. And part of the miracle of the cross is how an eternity of hell that is owed to each one of us is experienced and exhausted in three hours by Jesus on the cross. All of the physical, the emotional pain that Jesus experienced in his torture and in his abuse and humiliation, uh, the crucifixion, it, it, it is nothing compared to the curse of God's wrath against Jesus. Taking that incomprehensible wrath for us makes his love for us just as incomprehensible. 
as in we cannot fully explain all that happened on the cross, all the wrath, all the love, but you must believe that he did it, and he did it for you. When the centurion, so there's this Roman soldier, there's this centurion, when he saw what took place, what Jesus said, how Jesus suffered, that unnatural agony of Jesus' suffering and death, like the darkness coming over the whole face of the land in the middle of the day, he believed. This is a hardened executioner. He leads a death squad. This is what he does every day. And yet at this point, something becomes absolutely clear to him. This Jesus is who he said he was. It's not Jesus' family. It's not his disciples saying this right here. It's not the religious leaders. It's not even a Jew. The first person to make this unbelievable confession at what seemed like the lowest moment in Jesus' life, his death, it's a Roman, Gentile, pagan soldier in charge of executing Jesus. As in, there may be some here who feel like you're the last person in the world who would ever become a Christian. You're the, you're the least likely person who would ever confess Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus stuff, this Bible stuff, this church stuff, that Christianity stuff, it's fine. It's just for other people. It can never have anything to do with you. And Mark tells us that this Roman centurion who put Jesus to death was more unlikely than you could ever be. Other, others of us have gotten, uh, you know, just really tired of talking about Jesus with other people in our lives because you've shared and you've shared the gospel and you've concluded that the people, these people in your life, they're never going to change. They're never going to believe it. They're never going to get it. Like this Roman pagan executioner could never get it. Others of us want to believe in Jesus, uh, and we want to do it, you know, in every moment of our life, wherever we go, but uh, if we're honest, we're ashamed of him. Uh, that there's this comedian, Jim Gaffigan, who opens up, uh, he comes out on stage, he's welcoming everyone, uh, and he, he says he wants everyone to feel comfortable. He says, I do want everyone to feel comfortable, that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. And just, you know, the, they go crazy, they're laughing so hard. And, and <laughs> And he says this, he says, listen, doesn't matter if you're, and he is, he's Roman Catholic. He says, doesn't matter if you're religious or not, does anything make you feel more uncomfortable than some stranger going, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus, hope. And he'd say, easy freak. Um, because there are certain contexts, there are certain situations, there are certain people who when you get around them, you know the last thing you want to come up in conversation is Jesus. Because you want, or you don't want to look, you don't want to look that strange, or you don't want to look hateful, you don't want to look exclusive, even if it is another stranger coming up to you who is a Christian. Okay, can you imagine officers, families, friends will say and do to him? Just, just to say this of of Jesus, and it's okay uh, if it's always awkward, if Jesus is always this awkward thing with certain people, and it's because this is the kind of news that changes everything. So just sit in the awkwardness. Be okay in the awkwardness. Get used to persecution. Others of us think that, uh, let me just say this, not, others think that they understand the gospel, and they don't. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are people there who misunderstood him, and they thought, what they, because these words are very, very similar, they sound the same, that when Jesus is crying out, 
Uh, my God, my God, they think he's crying out to the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Uh, but these are religious people. These are the religious leaders who know the Bible. And they completely miss what's going on. And you've got plenty of people in the church who think they understand the gospel. Except Jesus is really nothing more to them than a moral example, a boost along the way, a help in living your best life now. Others are just scandalized by Jesus' death because the scandal of Christianity has, it'll always be that verse 30, 34 and 39, they're both true. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And truly, this was the Son of God. If, if this Jesus is forsaken by God and dies on a cross, then how can he be the Son of God? The Son of God doesn't experience that. That's the scandal of the cross. And the, the first heretics of the church, the, the Gnostics in the early church, they tried to change it. The Jews thought it was an offense and a contradiction. The Greeks thought it was foolishness. The Stoics thought it was embarrassing. Modern people today think that it's a scientific impossibility. Gods do not take on flesh and then die. Postmoderns today think it's, it's exclusive, and it's too sad, and it's too hard, and it's really disgraceful. It's really violent. It's child abuse. It's bloody. It's, it's an angry God. The truth is that there is no other gospel. There is no other good news. And we always talk about the gospel here uh, because the New Testament always talks about the gospel because Jesus always talked about the gospel. And in Jesus' day, when, when Jesus said that stuff of this gospel stuff, like that wasn't, ooh, what, what is this gospel word? It was actually a really familiar term. It was already in use in the Roman and Greek world, this term gospel. It was used for Caesar Augustus, uh, who's credited with bringing about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. There's actually this ancient inscription dating back to 9 BC called the Prean Calendar uh, inscription uh, from a Greek, ancient Greek city. Uh, it uh, marks the beginning of uh, Caesar Augustus' birthday and the, the, the era, uh, the reigning of his uh, coming of his kingdom. It's uh, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar announcing his kingdom that, that's going to bring peace and salvation for all people. It says through his, the good news. So the, like the Romans use this word gospel to herald Good news of the arrival of a kingdom, the reign of a king, that it brings to end uh, all war, brings peace, uh, and so we're going to surrender all allegiance to him. As in, the gospel had a very specific meaning. It was the announcement of an historical event that brought a new and good order of things. Just think of, like, why does Jesus care so much about a gospel, the announcement of an historical event? Because gospel good news is the announcement that something has been done, not something you do. And that is different from every other religion, worldview, philosophy, faith. The crux of Jesus' gospel is not a philosophy of what you need to do. The crux of Jesus' gospel is what Jesus has done for you. The crux of Jesus' gospel is the crucifixion. It's the cross. When Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament preach the gospel over and over and over and over, Jesus is telling us that history, history to Christians is infinitely more important than the historical events surrounding any other religion. This is the historical account of the origins of Buddhism, really, really vague and really inconsistent. Details of the Buddha's life, 
they're, they're mentioned in early Buddhist texts, but they're all inconsistent. They don't match up. His, his background, his life details are really difficult to nail down. The precise dates are really, really uncertain. But the most popular account is that there was a young uh, Indian prince named uh, Gautama or Siddhartha, uh, and his father had given him a very, very sheltered life. His father, the king, wanted his prince to, he just didn't want him to, he wanted him to stay inside the confines of, uh, you know, the palace always and never have any problems. Uh, so he had a very, very sheltered life. But one day, the young prince, he ends up going out four nights in a row. And the story goes that the first night he saw age, the second night he saw sickness. He had never seen these things before. The third night he saw death. And the fourth night he saw an ascetic devoted to discovering the meaning of suffering. And so after that, he was determined to follow the ascetic's example and discover the mysteries of life. And so he sat under a tree until he had an epiphany. And then he stood up and he looks at his disciples who have now gathered to him and he enunciated the four noble truths. It's like, that's interesting. As interesting as the historical events are about Buddha and the historical events about Muhammad in Islam, Joseph Smith in Mormonism, that, that, those are pretty interesting. The historical events around Hinduism and Taoism and Confucianism and Epicureanism and Stoicism, the paganism of the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians, like all these historical events and mythologies tell you is how these founders learned the way of salvation and how but in Christianity the historical events of Jesus's life and death are the way of salvation other religions say here's how you reach up to the gods or or the god other religions are a philosophy Christianity is a gospel that says God has reached down in a historic historic event that God has become human, that this God-man Jesus died on the cross for you, and that that historic event is salvation over sin and evil. The historical event of the cross, it does not teach you a way to live your life that will lead to your salvation. The historical event of Jesus' death on the cross, it is your salvation. Believe. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look to the cross and put our faith in our Lord and Savior, that as we focus our faith on him, uh, Father, that you would preserve us in that faith and that being united to Jesus in that faith, that that would, that that would change us, that it would change everything about us and change everything about how we look at each other, about how we look at your church, about how we look at our families, about how we look at this world, about how we look at suffering and death. Father, there is no other gospel. We believe it. We confess it. There is no other good news. There is nothing that we can do to climb and, and crawl our way up to you. Jesus has done it for us. And we thank you for our Lord and Savior. We pray that you would give us rest, faith, trust in him. To anybody that wants to hear it, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.